And the nominees are, we know Mike Babcock, Detroit Red Wings, John Cooper, Tampa Bay Lightning, Patrick Waugh, Colorado Avalanche. The winner is Patrick Roy. Rory, I think the Jack Adams Award has to be the toughest one to define the criteria for who deserves it. It's the most nebulous. I mean, we have this conversation about the MVP. How should we specifically define this? Is it truly just value to the team? Is it, you know, most outstanding season? But I'm going to rhyme you off some names here. So if you go back nine years, six of these guys, a little technicality, six of these guys aren't even actually full-time head coaches in the NHL anymore. Okay, so the last three, Gallant, John Tortorella, Barry Trotz. Go back to 2015, Bob Hartley, Calgary Flames, Patrick Waugh, Colorado Avalanche, Paul McLean, Ottawa Senators. There's a hat trick of guys who aren't coaching in the <laughs> NHL. Ken Hitchcock, St. Louis Blues. He is coaching, but it's going to end soon. And technically, he's an interim coach for the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. Dan Bilesma, you can still find him on the bench, but he's an assistant coach in Detroit. Dave Tippett. Now, this guy could coach if he wanted to, but it's crazy. It's crazy to yes. go back to 2010 and say... You know, more than half those guys who were tabbed as the best at what they do in the league looking for jobs. That's what I don't like about the way the Jack Adams is voted on is because a lot of the time it's a guy whose team overachieved because their goalie was doing really Fantastic. well. I mean, you look at, okay, the Jack Adams has been presented 40 times, 34 different coaches have won it. So there's no... Wayne Gretzky run of greatness for a coach or anything like that. You, and It's a different beast. It, it is a different beast, but at the same time, like, why does it need to be so much different? Why can't the best coach in the game get awarded with this thing more than once? You know, Mike Babcock, when he came to Toronto and they paid all this money for him and everybody wanted Mike Babcock, he's won zero Jack Adams and he's not going to win it this year. And you could argue he's now part of the older stable of coaches. We'll, we'll get into that if the Leafs lose in the first round. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, you, you look at, you look at, so Barry Trotz wins in 2016. It's not that he didn't deserve it, but he had a great goaltender that year. Paul McLean, when he went over Ottawa, he had a great goaltender that year. John Tortorella in 2017, Sergei Bobrovsky won the Vezina Trophy that year. And there's, and there's a lot of that throughout the history of the Jack Adams. And it's because people don't want to, you know, the way it's defined is, the coach adjudged to have contributed the most to his team's success. So by that strict definition, it's going to be hard to give it to John Cooper. Sure. Right? And Even, that, and that's the knock on the Jack Adams yeah. is the guy with the best team generally doesn't win this award. And we're only talking about Cooper because Tampa is so far yeah. out in front of anyone. Like, what about a guy like Paul Maurice who's just guiding his team to another fantastic season as he did last year? I mean, he'll get no chatter. He'll get none. And the funny thing is that if Connor Hellebuck was playing at a level similar to last year where he was a Vezina finalist and not below league average, slightly below league average that he's doing right now, Paul Maurice would be in this discussion right in the thick of it. Winnipeg would be way better. You wouldn't be noticing, you know, they have problems with their penalty kill. They have problems with their five on five or whatever, but you wouldn't be worried about that if Winnipeg was first place in the Western Conference and everything was going very smoothly for them. So that's just how much 
the goalie can change the entire conversation about this award. And, and that's what I don't think is fair. We're, we're really thinking too much about the goalie specifically and not the job that the coach has done. So after all that, we're going to give it to Barry Trotz, right? Yeah. <laughs> the Islanders but I would, to I, win his division. Yeah. Now I would argue in that case, yes. Okay. The goaltending has been amazing for the New York Islanders and it's at a level that they haven't gotten in quite some time. But I think that they're playing that well, not because Thomas Grace and Robin Lehner suddenly are all world netminders. It's because Barry Trotz has changed the way that team plays and their defense is a heck of a lot better. You know, last year, uh, the Islanders were just porous defensively. They averaged more than 36 shots against per game, which was the third highest mark of the entire salary cap era. Only two teams had allowed more shots than, than that, that Islanders team. And it was the Buffalo Sabres and Toronto Maple Leafs when they were at the bottom of their rebuilds. And suddenly he's improved that by six shots, six shots in one, in one season. And it could get better. And there are, there are some reasons to think it's trending back towards, uh, you know, in, in the wrong direction, but there's still a top 11 defense in terms of shots against so far this season. And to me, that that's what you pull out of this and say, okay, this is what the coach has done. And then that has led to better numbers for the goalies there. So another name you might hear Rick Tockett. He's got the injury plagued Arizona coyotes into a wild card berth as of this moment on Thursday afternoon. Another guy who is certainly going to earn some chatter. I have to think, especially if Phoenix can oh, scratch that Arizona, sorry, dear <laughs> listeners, can make it in. We are going to delve a little deeper into that Western Conference playoff picture here on the tape-to-tape broadcast. Take a look at teams like Arizona, Dallas, Minnesota hanging in, Colorado. We're going to lay a nickel on who we think is going to ultimately be able to get in there and talk about some of the matchups we see coming down the pike here and some of the teams that have already punched their ticket in the West The St. Louis Blues don't really fall into either category. They're not really fighting for their lives yet, but they also can't completely put their feet up. It's been quite a season in St. Louis. If you've been paying any attention at all, you know the Blues were a team that has spent time in the cellar and then just completely turned things around as the calendar flipped to 2019. We are going to speak to Lou Korak, the Blues correspondent for NHL.com, to find out what has gone on in St. Louis and dig a little deeper. We all know Jordan Binnington has been fantastic. Speaking of goaltending, speaking of coaches, a change there, Craig Berube coming in in November to take over for Mike Yo, and obviously some good results have followed. We'll see if uh, Lou thinks Berube may be sticking around there for a while. So lots of Western Conference playoff talk coming up. If you missed our chat on the East, go back one week and find what we were saying a week ago, most of it still holds up, I think, even though things can change pretty mm-hmm. quick in a playoff race, but uh, still lots of uh, salient points there on what's really become a, a race between Montreal and Columbus for the last two spots. But eh, there's a few teams that are probably still feeling a little nervous. All right. That is all ahead of you on tape to tape. So let's get to it right after the break with Lou Korak. The Tape to Tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali, complete with the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate. Net sliding around on the way to pond hockey? Use the built-in load stop to help keep them in place. 
Loading what seems like half a team's worth of bags, the tailgate also turns into a step for easier access and has an inner gate that flips down for unloading all the gear you can fit. GMC Sierra Denali, we are professional grade. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. As promised, joining us on the line now, he is the St. Louis Blues correspondent for NHL.com. It's Lou Korak. Lou, how you doing? Good, how are you? We are well and want to know what it's been like on the ground there because from afar, this Blues story has been absolutely remarkable. Seeing a team go from lottery talk, they're going to trade everyone, sell, 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 to hey, this team uh, might be <laughs> someone you don't want any part of come playoff time. They're, you know, still got to sew things up, but certainly in a great position to make the playoffs, maybe even make some noise in there. What's it been like seeing the day-to-day of this team have this incredible turnaround? Well, a franchise record 11-game winning streak can certainly fix a lot of things, and that's really what it took to get them in the position that they're in right now. And, uh, you know, without it, uh, they'd really be in a tough spot right now because uh, at the time they went on that winning streak, you had a lot of the teams that were around that wild card spot uh, really were struggling themselves and enabled this hockey team to not only climb to them, but also fall down to them. So, but now the roles have sort of been reversed here. Uh, the Blues have really leveled off here a little bit. Uh, some injuries have hit them pretty good here. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to fight their way through that. And, uh, but some of these other teams now, uh, you know, Dallas has gotten hot. Arizona's playing well. Um, you know, you still have Minnesota there in the mix. Colorado's hanging around. Chicago won't go away. So, um, you know, they're not, they're not out of the woods here yet, but, uh, you know, when they went on that winning streak, um, Jordan Bennington was a big part of it, obviously bringing him on and uh, just kind of taking the league by storm. And, uh, you know, they had one of the hottest lines in the NHL going at the time with uh, Shen, O'Reilly, and Tarasenko. And uh, unfortunately here, uh, they haven't been able to uh, keep them together. Shen went out there for about six games, and now Tarasenko's on the sidelines uh, himself, uh, will be reevaluated about an, in another five days to see where he's at with an upper body injury. So uh, the injury bug has gotten them and uh, you know, but to be in the spot that they're in, I'm sure, you know, it's a better spot to be in than uh, on the outside looking in and trying to chase teams now uh, down right now, because we're getting down towards the end here. And uh, you know, these games are very intense right now. Lou, as the Blues got back on track here, you know, we've talked a lot about the the big names that have made that happen. Ryan O'Reilly's probably been their best and most consistent season-long player to this point. Vladimir Tarasenko, surprise, surprise, started to score before his injury. Shen, as you mentioned, was a big part of that. Jordan Bennington, maybe the biggest factor in that he came in and was so good right away um, in, the, in that streak, and, and he was such a big part of this turnaround. But... I'd like you to shine a light on some of the other guys uh, lower down in the lineup that have really turned the corner too and allowed this Blues team to, to to turn their season around. Because as we know, you don't win in this league consistently with just one line or one player. You, you need depth. So who are these other guys that have been coming around for the Blues? Well, Oscar Sundquist has been really a revelation all season long. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, 
I didn't even see this guy making the opening night lineup uh, when they were coming out of training camp. Uh, and obviously he had the unfortunate uh, injury where he pretty much got blown up by Tom Wilson uh, in a preseason game. And uh, I think that that's what really kept him from starting the season in San Antonio in the AHL. And, uh, you know, he had to uh, get himself back uh, together from, from that injury there. He had a concussion out of that and, uh, you know, a neck injury as well. And he's only come on and, you know, he's got 12 goals and 25 points this year and has really solidified uh, that third line center role. And not, not just, not just that he's putting up some points right now, because obviously career high in numbers and, you know, in the offensive statistics, but, uh, you know, Craig Berube will have him out there in the last minute of a game of a one goal game, whether he's taking a draw or just, you know, out there, you know, for defensive responsibilities, that's how much they trust in him. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, it'd be, it'd be tough for me not to mention the things that he has done because, uh, he's really been fantastic for them. And I was completely, not only myself, but a number of us were just completely, you know, wrong about where he was going to be and and how he's come along and where he was going to fit in on this hockey team. And, you know, Pat Maroon has has certainly turned his season around, you know, with the pressures of coming home and, you know, facing all that with family and his son is here. And I'm I'm sure that was a heavy burden for him. And, you know, the numbers just weren't there. And, you know, if you look at it right now, yeah, 61 games, five goals, 14 assists, probably aren't numbers that are going to jump off, uh, you know, and and just, you know, they're not going to be eye-popping numbers, but, I mean, his play just is all-around play. And, I mean, you know, just defensive responsibilities, protecting pucks in the offensive zone, uh, you know, being that guy on the power play that, uh, you know, is that net front presence, you know, just the little things. He's really improved in that area there. And, uh, you know, there have been a number of guys. Robert Thomas now is playing top-line minutes. They put him on the top line while Tarasenko is out. And uh, he's really come a long ways, a 19-year-old. You know, I mean, he's still treading water. Uh, he's only scratching the surface as far as I'm concerned. I still think that uh, there are multiple levels for him to go on. But uh, I, I think he's really handled his uh, rookie season in the NHL really well. And Ivan Barbashev as a fourth-line center has really anchored that unit there. And uh, those, you know, whoever plays with him on that line, they – They've certainly had their moments where they've been able to really give uh, this hockey team some good minutes, and that that that's really what it's what it's going to have to take with this team. Like you said, it's not just one line that's doing it, but and obviously those guys have been the anchor, and they've certainly led the way for this group. But uh, I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, this team is, you know, that well they were a couple of nights ago. I don't know if anything has changed since then, but tied with the Minnesota Wild for most goals among defensemen, so they're their defensemen are filtering in and, and giving them some much added offense. And they've got 41 goals as a group and uh, whoever's played there, you know, whether it be, you know, Vince Dunn stepping up in his sophomore year here and Petrangelo's games finally come around. He had a little bit of a slow start and, you know, that, that second pairing with Jay Bomeister and, uh, and Colton Pareko has been fantastic. And, you know, now you've got uh, Joel Edmondson sidelined with a lower body injury and, uh, you know, they pick up Michael Delzato at the trade deadline playing with uh, Robert Bortuzzo tonight. So really, it, it's been a collective effort. And, um, you know, with each passing win, they were able to gain more and more confidence. And when your goalies are making saves, now Jake Allen, start, he's really come around here too. And, you know, when, whenever he's pushed by somebody, it seems to bring out the best in him. So it, it really has been a collective effort. 
So you mentioned a couple of the younger guys, and that's my next question where I wanted to go with. You mentioned Robert Thomas. You mentioned Vince Dunn. Those guys are 19 and 21 years old. Uh, Robbie Fabry, 22 years old. Sammy Blay, 22 years old. They've played 29 and 32 games, respectively. Jordan Cairo, who's played 16 games, just got a call up to the big club. I think that's a factor in why the Blues didn't really need to why the Blues management didn't really need to get desperate in trying to fix this thing when they were struggling because there's a ton of good young players that are on this roster or are about to make this roster full-time. So just tell us about the, the that core of under 23-year-old players and kind of what they're doing this season and, and where you figure uh, they'll fit in role-wise with this team in, in the years to come. Well, it's been a it's been a tough go for Robbie Fabry this year. And, you know, I spoke with him extensively on uh, Tuesday before the team took off or Wednesday before the team took off uh, for this latest road trip. Uh, you know, maybe he had higher expectations of himself coming off of two serious knee injuries and uh, he missed a year and a half. Let's, you know, let's make no bones about it. This, this, this hasn't been easy for him. Uh, he's going to be in the lineup against the senators and uh, you know, been a healthy scratch a lot. And this is something that he hasn't been used to going back to his days in, in junior. He's always been kind of looked at as a go-to guy. And I think it's a humbling experience for him, but you know, out of that, out of that cast of young players that you talk about, um, he's probably one of the veteran guys at 23 years old. And, you know, Jordan Cairo, it's been, it's been a learning experience for him and being down in San Antonio, he's certainly, showing at the AHL level that uh, he, he can get the job done. And, you know, he's kind of had that uh, San Antonio to St. Louis Express going, and now he's there again, um, you know, to supply some of that depth. And I think you may see him here for the rest of the year now, uh, you know, considering they use the recall, it's their second of four that, they, that they're allotted and have uh, post-trade deadlines. So, uh, you know, I think he'll be a full-time guy here next year. And there's a lot of teams that have inquired about these players and, one of the guys you didn't, I didn't even mention was Clint Costin down at San Antonio and, you know, still kind of finding his way around the North American game is, is a guy that's drawn, you know, attention from a number of teams and a number of GMs when uh, trade discussions have popped up in the last two years. And Doug Armstrong has pretty much held firm that uh, he's not going to deal away his prospects. And, uh, you know, the only one that, uh, that they have dealt away here in the last couple of years is Tage Thompson. And, part of the Ryan O'Reilly trade. And I think we see so far that's turned out to be pretty good for the St. Louis blues. So, uh, you know, they're going to build with these young guys and, you know, they've had the faith and trust in Robert Thomas to play here. That normally hasn't been the standard. They, you know, the blues usually like to uh, groom these guys and get them the experience at the lower levels and not immediately throw them into the fire here at the NHL. But Robert Thomas has been a guy that's, uh, shown them the promise and shown them the ability that he can handle it here. And I think that, uh, you know, that trust has been warranted so far this year. And, uh, you know, Vince Dunn, uh, you know, he's had some ups and downs this year a little bit, but uh, I think he's certainly proving to be one of those um, defensemen that they can really rely on. Uh, Still shoring up his defensive responsibilities, of course, but a good puck moving defenseman who only continues to gain confidence and certainly has that flair on the offensive side and he's going to play with Alex Petrangelo in that game against the senators. And, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes with him. It's always tougher for defensemen to develop, but he's certainly gotten the job done for him. You mentioned the O'Reilly trade, a smashing success, no doubt for St. Louis. He's been great 
front to back for the Blues. But if you go back to the summer, of course, the other guy they brought in to solidify the middle of the ice was Tyler Bozak. Certainly not the same expectations as O'Reilly. I know Bozak missed some time due to a concussion earlier in the season. You know, numbers aren't going to jump off the page. 29 points in 60 games, about a a 40-point pace, I guess. But just give us a sense of how Bozak has fit in in his first year there and where his game is at right now. I think he's done fine, and he's had to, uh, when they moved Shen up uh, out of the second-line center role, really, he and O'Reilly started the year uh, as kind of a 1A, 1B, you know, choose whoever you want to be 1A, and the other will be 1B. Now Shen's playing on a wing on that line, and Tyler Bozak has stepped up uh, more or less to take up the number uh, two center ice minutes there, and uh, I think he's done a fine job, but like you said, you know, the the offensive numbers aren't going to jump out at you again, but uh, certainly been very reliable and responsible defend- as a defensive center and, uh, you know, gives them some, some quality minutes on the power play. And, uh, and, and, you know, he hasn't had a ton of goals, but certainly the goals that he has scored have been very timely. And, uh, you know, here recently they played a game against Nashville. It's a 0-0 game in the third period and comes up uh, – with the big goal and helps them win a game two to nothing. So, uh, you know, comes up with a big goal against the Los Angeles Kings here on this uh, recent uh, California road trip that they had. So, uh, you know, a good face-off guy, and it's somebody that, uh, you know, they really rely on in that aspect uh, because Ryan O'Reilly's been fantastic uh, on the dots, and Tyler Bozak has done his uh, job there as well. It's a team that really thrives on winning the face-off and, being that puck possession type of a team. And I think he's given them a good shot in the arm in that, in that regard. Since Craig Berube took over behind the bench for Mike Yo on November 20th, the blues are 29, 17 and four, which is a top 10 record in the NHL. But Berube still has that interim tag next to his name. Do you think he is the full-time head coach for this team starting next season? That's a good question, and it's one that's going to go right down to the wire here. There's really an unknown factor there. I mean, I I think he's certainly, uh, you know, given himself a fair chance to be, you know, the head coach of this hockey team moving forward. But I think a lot of it's going to have to do with, A, how they finish here, and B, if they get into the Stanley Cup playoffs and and how well they do. Um, It's going to be a a decision that uh, Doug Armstrong and the management team, they're going to have to evaluate this summer. You know, and I'm sure there's going to be a wide range of factors that they're going to go into it with here. But he's cert- but Barubi has certainly got the attention of this hockey team. He's uh, got this team playing a certain way and a way that it seems like the players are comfortable with. And uh, they've taken on a little bit of his attitude, which is that kind of no-nonsense, abrasive kind of a person. Uh, you know, you see it in his interviews. He's not going to be one of these... Uh, He's not going to be one of these analytical guys that's going to give you extended type of answers when you ask him a question. He's straight to the point. He's a straight shooter and, and gives you quick, you know, real quick, short answers uh, for the most part. And I think the team has kind of uh, embraced that identity of, of, of a team that's going to be hardworking. It's going to be a hard-checking team. It's going to be a team that's going to make you earn your space on the ice. And uh, it's led to good results so far. But as far as whether he's going to get this job, it, it's it's really a, a hard question to answer right now. And like I said before, it's going to really depend a lot on uh, what how this team finishes from here on out. Uh, but certainly what he's done so far uh, has, has given him uh, 
a real a real chance here. Well, as you mentioned, still a little work for St. Louis to be done to sew up that playoff spot, but also uh, remarkable that this team is in this position and controls its own destiny given uh, where it was, namely last overall going back a couple months. Quite a story. Lou, thanks so much for shedding some light on uh, the St. Louis situation this year. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That is Lou Korak, and that is the view from St. Louis. When we come back on Tape to Tape, we're going to talk about what things look like in a few other bergs. There are a handful of teams still scrapping it out to try and snag a wild card berth in the Western Conference. We're going to break down that playoff chase, plus look at some teams that have already punched their ticket and maybe get into some preferred draws. That is all coming up on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all of your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Welcome back to Tape to Tape, where it's time to jump into the Western Conference playoff scene. You could probably argue until Wednesday night that scene still kind of sort of included the Edmonton Oilers, but a 6-3 loss at home to the Devils. Connor McDavid gets his 100th point, but they really needed those two points. They're heading out on the road now for three. Uh, the Oilers are now looking up in the standings. They are six back of Arizona as we record this. Just looks like Edmonton's officially forking them situation. Uh- unofficially official they're they're done this time that's right <laughs> um yeah i mean they they were kind of done already but the idea was you had what seemed like an automatic two points against uh, a new jersey devils team that is an automatic win it seems at this point in the season and that would have got them up to 71 points and four back and it also got them to game 70 which is the same number of games chicago colorado minnesota and arizona all teams ahead of them have played so now you're on even ground 12 games left you can make up four points not easy to do but within reach and because they drop that you get outscored 4-1 in periods two and three after you come out of the first tied you allow a shorthanded goal which was really the backbreaker the sixth goal from the new jersey devils that's kind of Edmonton season. You know, they had a good little run here to get back into relevancy and it, it completely had to do with Miko Koskinen playing good hockey again. And then he has a bad game against New Jersey gets pulled. And when you don't have the goaltending Edmonton struggles and when they do, they're good enough to kind of hang in this race. And so that was kind of the tale of Edmonton season, that loss against the New Jersey devils. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that officially unofficially officially puts a nail in their season. Two straight seasons in all likelihood on the outside looking in for the Oilers after nearly making the conference final in 2017. You can bet we will be revisiting the Edmonton story 
in the offseason because there are certainly some changes coming starting in the front office where uh, we assume someone other than Keith Gretzky will wind up being the GM. All right, so we already heard from Lou about everything that's gone on in St. Louis. The Blues sit third in the Central Division. Uh, They're five up on... Minnesota, which is, I guess we'll call it ninth. Uh, St. Louis looking pretty good. So let's set them aside since we've discussed them. Uh, the two teams presently holding wild card positions, Dallas and Arizona. Dallas is three points clear of Minnesota. You know, we talked about it on the podcast ever since Jimmy Lights went nuclear on the team. Yeah. They've actually been doing all right. And you have to think that, I mean, Ben Bishop has been very good. Uh, they have a, a solid pass 10 here. Dallas is looking pretty good to to get in and probably get that first wild card, really, if not catch the Blues. Yeah, the only thing I worry about with Dallas is that, man, and I've said this all season long, like they sometimes look like an amazing team and they're super fun to watch and they're going up and down the ice and, and they are a very good defensive team. I think a lot better than most people realize, which is helping Ben Bishop have a great season, but but he's been solid himself anyways. The goals haven't always been there, but they have those stretches where like, man, this team could maybe give somebody like Nashville or Winnipeg a run for their money in the first round of the playoffs. And then they'll go for five games where they just get blown out all the time. They can't score. Their defense is okay. And they just look like, oh my goodness, like why is this team even in the playoff hunt? And that, and that inconsistency is what I struggle uh, to come around with, with the Dallas stars. Now you do look at it. They're three points up. They do. They've only played 69 games. So they have a game in hand of all these teams behind them. Um, they are in the best position for sure, but it's that lack of consistency and the lack of depth, which they hoped that they were going to solve by picking up Matt Zuccarello around the trade deadline. And then he breaks his arm in his very first game. You know, you're hoping you get him back for the playoffs and that changes your outlook a little bit, but you know, who I, it's hard to feel good about that team or any of these wildcard teams winning around once they get to the playoffs. It's just going to be a victory to get that far. Well, and we'll talk about <laughs> how that relates to uh, some of the teams scrapping it out for division leads, i.e. the Calgary Flames. Uh, Arizona's got to be one of the teams. Uh, if you don't have a real dog in this fight, you've got to be pulling for for these dogs, sort of, um, because... <laughs> Man, what a story. Despite all these injuries, here they are. Uh, Coach Rick Tockett is uh, doing everything he can to, you know, get the likes of, uh, you know, uh, Vinny Hosanostra and yeah. uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and and a bunch of guys who aren't going to finish with great stat lines. Clayton Keller's leading them with 44 points this year. Yeah. Darcy Kemper has really stepped up in yep. goal when, when, again, Ranta has been hurt. It just it would be such a nice reward for this team that hasn't been in the playoffs since 2012 to get in there and get rewarded for just the way they've been scrapping this year. I think Clayton Keller at 44 points, he is the second lowest team leading scorer next to Ryan Getzlaff in Anaheim, if I'm thinking off yes, the top of my head. I, yeah. um, and that's just like they don't score. The only reason they're in the wild card right now is because everything about that race completely collapsed over mm-hmm. the last two months or more. And then it has given teams like Arizona a, a, a second, you know, chance. Given teams like Edmonton a lot longer leash than they would normally have. Now, it, it, it's a much different Arizona team than the last time this franchise was going for a playoff spot in 2013-14. But it is worth noting, I think, and, and it's it's hard to really believe in a team like this until they finally do it. And same thing goes for Carolina. So in 2013-14, the the Coyotes had a stretch 
in March. So you take out their first game in March, you take out their last game in March. They went 9-3-1 and the rest of that month. They were in a playoff spot. Everything is looking really good for them. And then they won one of their last nine games and missed the playoffs by two points. And that's, if you're an Arizona Coyotes fan, that might be in the back of your head. Obviously, the roster is a heck of a lot different than it was. Rick Tockett is doing a fabulous job as the head coach. He's going to get some Jack Adams votes, I think, by the end of this thing, too. Um, they're just, they're a, they're a pesky team. And, and at this point in the season and in the playoffs, goals start to dry up. Defense becomes a bit more of a priority. And and like you said, Darcy Kemper has been really good. You know, Antti Ranta was supposed to be the, the number one goalie, yeah, a rising star potentially for that team. And, and, we, and injuries keep yeah, hitting Yeah, it was great when he was in last year. but Yeah, and, and Kemper was a trade at last year's trade deadline that really flew under the radar getting him from the L.A. Kings. And I remember, like, what was the point of that trade from L.A.'s perspective? Like, this is a pretty cheap, youngish goalie yeah. that was playing well for them, and, and he's just been a, a great find for the Arizona Coyotes. And, and looking at their schedule the rest of the way, they have no more back-to-backs the rest of the way. Their schedule is fairly favorable compared to some of the other teams in this race. So it's lining up that this might finally work out in Arizona's favor and they could get into the playoffs. But again, your reward for getting that far is to probably play San Jose, maybe Calgary in the first round of the playoffs. And and that is a much different animal than competing against the likes of Minnesota and Dallas. Like those are Stanley cup contenders and I, you know, defense is tough to beat in the playoffs, but that that's hard to see them getting by. Well, let's just run through the three teams closest to the last playoff spot quickly here. You've got Minnesota point back, Colorado three back, Chicago four back, uh, Minnesota and Colorado. And Minnesota definitely been struggling a bit lately. We all know Colorado's been, you know, scuffling for a bit. Certainly hasn't put together uh, any real sustained good run and, and had a, a long losing streak. In January, as you reference, I mean, this has been a real turtle race. Chicago has won four in a row to stick in this thing, um, but also has the furthest to go. Do you have any strong feelings about any of those teams? Mine would be, I'm sick of seeing Minnesota in the first round and just lose. I'd rather see, for sure, Arizona, probably Colorado, and even Chicago, I think, because it would be crazy to get in there. But, you know, Minnesota, no Miko Koivu, but, you know, still lots of savvy other vets. Do you think they ultimately overtake Arizona or do you see one of those three teams uh would you make a strong case that one of them is going to squeeze in <laughs> it's hard to make a strong it's, case it's hard to do a strong teams. anything with this isn't it <laughs> yeah um I mean, I think the team that has the best shot has got to be Minnesota. I think Chicago and their complete lack of defense probably takes them out. Corey Crawford needs to be so amazing for them the rest of the way. I can't think that they're going to make it back in. Colorado's injury to uh, Gabriel Landeskog right. is just, that's so De- devastating, devastating for them. They already had depth problems and scoring, and so that that probably sinks them. The, th- the thing with Minnesota is, like, I, I just don't get this team. I thought that they were fading prior to the trade deadline and then they sold off a couple of pieces and it looked like okay the bottom is going to fall out of this thing now and then they beat calgary on the road 4-2 uh they followed up with back-to-back extra time losses uh against the uh, nashville predators which were really good games sorry and they beat winnipeg also right after the trade deadline too so those are points against some really good teams then on uh march 7th they're the first team to shut out the Tampa Bay Lightning in regulation this year, and everything seems to be going great for Minnesota, and then they lose 6-2 to Florida, and then they get shut out 3 nothing by San Jose. And that's the issue with this team, much like Dallas, is you know you don't know what you're going to get from them from one game to the next. And 
home games are so important at this time of year. And, and last year, Minnesota was just stellar at home going 27, six and eight right now. They're one, five and three at home over their last nine. They haven't won a home game in regulation since January 19th. Their power play has just completely evaporated going over its last 18. They've been shut out six games in a row. That's not trending in a direction towards the playoffs, I don't think. Now, Devin Dubnik has been really good for them at a lot of times this year. You're hoping you get Matt Dumba back. He was skating this week, but Bruce Boudreaux said it's just because he was bored and he was out there and there's no real timeline <laughs> yet, but that would be a game changer if you could get him back in any sort of fashion, even even if it's for the last couple of games of the season, because I think they're going to hang around right until the bitter end. Um, it's just what Minnesota Wild team are we going to see here over the last little bit? Bruce Boudreaux has been just perplexed like why is this team so great one night and so awful and we don't have any effort the next and that's what's hard to get around at least with Arizona even with all the injuries you know you're going to get a really tough outing from them pretty much every time they get out there Minnesota and Dallas are just way all over the place so that's why I think the strongest case to be made would be for Arizona because they they seem to be work ethic wise the most consistent of all of these teams they've been doing this all year just trying For to sure. survive and, and yep. scratch it out all right you referenced it a couple times so the division leaders the central and pacific we'll start with the central winnipeg has the inside track as they're point up and they have a couple games in hand on nashville now i think you could probably argue you can give me your two cents that it's not as critical for winnipeg to win the Central because if they finish second, they're going to end up playing St. Louis or Dallas, which is probably the case if they win the Central. They're probably going to end up playing Dallas or St. Louis in that uh, yep. first wild card spot yep. because whoever wins the Pacific is going to be the number one seed in the West. I yep. mean, if you're Winnipeg, are you? is it critical in your mind to to win the central. I mean, obviously you prefer, but is it critical to win the central and say, you know, hopefully we see just say Dallas in that hole because that's who holds it right now and avoid St. Louis altogether. I mean, like I said, you don't know where these two teams are going to land, but chances are that's who you're going to see anyways. One of the stars are blues. Yeah. I don't think the team is going to change necessarily, but I mean, I would just of try and avoid St. Louis at all costs. You would. Um, it just, just because I, I I would pick Winnipeg in that series, but you don't want to play the hotter team going in. And St. Louis, maybe they peak too early or not. Like Jordan Bennington does seem to be slowing relative to what he was doing. That's not a shock. He was playing at a level. But that Jake Allen's coming at. on a bit because he's been pushed. Yeah, well, <laughs> but let's talk about this again next week and sure. see what Jake Allen's doing. That's my problem with him is is he, he is going to fall back to earth. That always happens with him. Um, I would just be concerned with St. Louis coming in hot and then now you're Winnipeg and you've been dealing with injuries. Your penalty kill has been really slow. You do have some of these underlying problems with your team and that you just run into a, a bad matchup. You know, you, you talk about needing to finish here or there in the playoffs, but it is all about matchups. And if you are playing the hotter team going in, I think that puts you at a more of a disadvantage than if you're playing Dallas, which again, you don't know what you're going to get from one one night to the next. So I would rather finish first because it looks like it's going to be Dallas that you're going to be ending up playing, maybe even Arizona, and probably St. Louis is going too hot to fall back behind some of these teams. Um, it's not as important for them to win the division as it is for the Pacific winner, which we're going to talk about next, but I think given how much St. Louis is coming on now, it's getting pretty close to that uh, level of importance in you know, you just want to play the easier team and get on to the second round. Well, you reference it. If you're Calgary or San Jose, 
you are looking at the Vegas Golden Knights and saying, well, on paper, we've talked about this. They're better this year. Scratch James yep. Neal, add Stastny, Mark Stone, and Max Pacioretty. I mean, maybe Vegas hasn't been exactly what it was last year, but the difference between finishing first in the Pacific and first in the West and getting home ice throughout the playoffs, I mean, much love to Arizona, but if the Coyotes end up getting the last playoff spot, you have to think San Jose or Calgary are really liking the way that lines up for a five-game series and yeah. put your feet up, right? Yeah, I was going to say you might get your broom out for that Yeah, one. That I mean, quick. that versus what you're going to see from a playoff-savvy, still-hungry Golden Knights team, it does feel like night and day. With a newly formed top line with Mark Stone coming in. And, and arrested Flurry because they know they've been locked into third ex- for a month and exactly. a half. Exactly. And I know that is, we've talked about this, that is the concern is that maybe they've overplayed Flurry, whatever. But look at the top three teams in, in, in both of these divisions and their goalies. Connor Hellebuck, Pekka Rene, Jordan Bennington or Jake Allen, whoever, Martin Jones, David Riddick. The only Stanley Cup winner, and he's done it multiple times, is Marc-Andre Fleury. And that's... That is kind of the difference maker between how far you go or if you lose out early in the in the playoffs is how good is your goalie. And Marc-Andre Fleury, like I said like last week, I don't really think he should be a finalist for the Vesna, but that doesn't mean he's having a bad season. He is having a very good season. He's sturdy. He's steady. He's not going to probably blow up for you two or three games in a row and, and sink your series. Whereas... Some of these other teams, like Calgary, you don't know if David Riddick is really going to be the guy that's going to carry you yet. He's had blips. Mike Smith had a good stretch, but then he's kind of fallen back too. And that kind of instability makes me a little bit worried about the Calgary Flames. Vegas or San Jose, to me right now, are the teams to beat in that Pacific Division. So in that way, it would be a shame if those two teams played each other in the first round for as much as Toronto and their fans are complaining about the playoff format and how it's against them. These Pacific teams, whoever finishes second and third, it's really playing against them um, because everybody's just playing so well. I, I just think it's very interesting how the conversation has completely changed at the top in the Western Conference. At the start of the season, it was... You know, oh, the Pacific might be good, and then the Central comes on. And look at all these great Central teams. The Central is going to dominate. And and most of those, even even just outside the wild card, Minnesota, Colorado, uh, Chicago, you know, they all come from the Central. But I think, I mean, San Jose is definitely, San Jose and Vegas, to me, right now, are the top Stanley Cup contenders in the Western Conference. After that... I, it's pretty close between Winnipeg and Calgary to me. Yeah, um, I don't think Nashville even really belongs there. They're closer to a St. Louis. And so now everything is top-heavy in the Pacific Division right now, and that's why it's so, so, so important to get out of that second spot, get into first, play whoever is going to be your, the, the second wild card there and avoid Vegas in the first round because they have that great first line. They have a very underrated defense. Everything seems to be coming around for them. And Marc-Andre Fleury has been playing good enough. And like you said, they are resting him more now than they were at the start of the season. I, I imagine that's just going to pick up. You know, We'll see if he even plays in that last week. Maybe he plays one game in that last week before the playoffs come in totally ready to go. Don't risk anything. And they might be, you know, position-wise, forward, defense, goaltending, they might have the fewest reasons for concern out of anybody. You know, San Jose is the worst 5-on-5 save percentage among everybody. Calgary had an offense that dried up, and you have questions about um, their scoring depth up front and their goaltending. Winnipeg's penalty kill. Nashville's power play. St. Louis, are they peaking too early? Everybody's got these little bits of worries around them, and that doesn't really exist for the Vegas Golden Knights. 
You know what I find fascinating this time of year is when we talk about strength of schedule and we talk like playoff team versus non-playoff team. And of course, you know, people are quick to say, yeah, but do you want to play the non-playoff team? They're playing loose. Yeah. Even within that framework, I find it fascinating. Like if you could ever do a breakdown of when which team catches, you know, teams that were just eliminated the night before and they just are going completely through the motions on their next game. Or I find there's, you know, non-playoff teams for a while. They like playing spoiler, but then you get to like three weeks left in the season. They're like, okay, I'm ready to go to the beach. You know, like there are all these little factors that come into play that make this schedule. There's more layers to it than like, Oh, good team, bad team at this time of year. And I kind of find it fun to watch that The human factor. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. We're big fans of the human factor here on uh, the heartfelt tape to tape pod. That's all we have for you this week. Make sure you're checking out Rory on Twitter at Rory Boylan, myself at Dixon on sports Four weekends left in the 2018, 19 NHL regular season. We really are coming down to the wire and heading toward the uh, most wonderful time of the year. The first year of the playoffs. We'll be back next week. Of course, Surely talking more about some playoff races and and maybe even a little more awards chatter as we work toward that season. Make sure you're following us on sportsnet.ca. You can subscribe to the Tape to Tape podcast in iTunes. Come back next time for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape. 